for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your future. This is what it will be like when you face the Lamb. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is the book of Revelation relevant and practical for Christians today? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue our series, The First Six Seals, The Tribulation Begins. Prophecies and signs, judgment and glory, observable events so dramatic they almost defy belief. All things you might think about when you think of the book of Revelation. But sadly, the fact is, many Christians might believe the book does not apply to them today, since the events predicted have yet to unfold. But as you're learning in this series, such a conviction couldn't be further from the truth. The very descriptions of the four seals and the four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6 provide every Christian with several lessons directly applicable today. How so? Well, let's find out with Tom Pennington as he continues in his study here on The Word Unleashed. Verse 4 says, And another, a red horse, in response to that summons, went out. The color of this horse is fiery red because this horse brings civil war, war between countries, and even world war. And that becomes very clear when we learn about the second rider. Look at verse 4, goes on to say, And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. So at the very beginning of the tribulation period, there will be the promise of world peace under a new world leader who is a charismatic individual who will accomplish his victories not by warfare but by treaties and covenants and he will bring the entire world, his purpose is to bring the entire world under his control, and he will do so successfully, offering peace. But that peace is quickly shattered by the next horseman. Notice verse 4 says, it was granted again by God that this horse and its rider should take peace from the earth. So the second horseman of the apocalypse shortly into the seven-year period of the tribulation, ushers in worldwide conflict. This horse and its rider symbolizes violent bloodshed and the horrors that accompany war. There is an outward temporary peace ushered in by the first rider, but it quickly proves to be a false peace. It is a cheap imitation of the everlasting peace the Prince of Peace will someday bring. Notice, he says, peace is going to be taken from the earth. The impact of this seal is worldwide. Verse 4 says, and that men would slay one another. Here we learn how peace will be destroyed by slaying one another. The Greek word translated slay is a broad word that includes all violent taking of life in war. 
In other words, this seal, when, when Christ breaks this seal, it will result in unspeakable carnage in war across this planet. Verse 4 says, and a great sword was given to him. This horse and his rider is given the sword that Roman soldiers carried into battle. That's the Greek word that's used. And it obviously symbolizes war, conflict, violent death. There has always been war on this planet. There are wars raging today, but the second horseman of the apocalypse will usher in a time of unparalleled war. That brings us to the third seal, verse 5. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. Again, in response to the summons of this third living creature, John saw the third horse. Verse 5, I looked and behold a black horse. The black color of this horse implies obviously darkness, but the concept of grief and mourning. Why? Well, we discover why when we meet the third rider. Verse 5 goes on to say, and he who sat on this black horse had a pair of scales in his hand. This rider holds a bar with scales suspended at both ends. In other words, the ancient tool for for weighing food. You've all seen pictures of them, perhaps even have an example in your home. Verse 6 says, And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures. At this point, John hears another announcement, but this announcement doesn't come from one of the four living creatures. Instead, notice it's like a voice, and it comes from the center of the four living creatures. Now, back in chapter 5, verse 6, we learned that at the center of the four living creatures is the throne of God. So this is the voice of God himself. God speaks these words, and it is a reminder that all of this is unfolding in His sovereign purpose and plan. Notice what God says about this horse and its rider. Verse 6 says, saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, let's take that apart a bit. Those are obviously ancient terms that we have to understand to to catch what is being communicated here. First of all, the Greek word that is in our version translated quart is a dry measure similar to our quart. Actually, our quart is slightly more than the ancient Greek measurement, but this is, you wouldn't understand the Greek word, it wouldn't help you, so quart is a good translation. Think of a dry measure quart, a quart jar. Wheat was the primary food of the ancient world. It was the better quality grain, it was more expensive than barley, and a quart of wheat that's described here was the amount that it was understood one person needed every day to sustain life. So a quart, one person, one day. A denarius was what the average worker, like a common worker, earned in a day. So think about this. The prices caused by this famine will require a full day's pay to purchase enough wheat for just one person. 
Normally in the first century, a denarius would have bought 10 quarts of wheat. This is a, this is a massive famine. And our Lord, or, or God the Father goes on to say, notice, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Barley was the cheaper grain. In fact, it was often fed to animals, but poor people ate it regularly. But here we're told a common worker is going to have to work an entire day to provide just enough food to provide for a family of three. No extra money, just enough food for the family. Normally, by the way, in the first century, the same amount of money would have bought 30 quarts of barley instead of three. So you can see the famine has created incredible inflation. So this writer symbolizes then the scarcity of food caused by famine. And doesn't that make perfect sense? I mean, the second seal caused worldwide war. Famine and hunger are always in the aftermath of war. War and famine create scarcity, and scarcity drives prices up. The resulting inflation in this context means most people will barely have enough food to survive. The common people will have to work just to feed their families and have nothing left over when it's done. But God adds, verse 6, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Oil and wine were often associated with the rich in that culture. So this may mean that the poor will struggle just to eat, but the wealthy will see very little interruption to their lives. Robert Thomas writes in his commentary about this expression, the privileged lifestyle of the rich remains completely intact. That's one possible interpretation. There are others who think that that oil and wine, these important commodities, will be so hard to come by that they will need to be carefully protected. And that's the idea here of make sure you don't damage your oil and wine. You need to make sure you care for these precious commodities. Regardless of that last expression, what we see in this third horseman of the apocalypse is the most severe worldwide famine that has ever struck the globe. That brings us to the fourth seal. And we see the summons that comes with it. Verse 7, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And again, in response to the command of the fourth living creature, comes the fourth horse. Verse 8, I looked and behold an ashen horse. Now, the Greek word for ashen is actually the word from which we get our English word chlorophyll. It, it, it describes something pale green. Here, it's a, it's a sickly yellow green. It's the color of a corpse in an advanced state of decay. That's the color of this horse. And That's certainly appropriate in light of the writer and how he's described. The fourth writer we meet there in verse 8, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. This horse and its rider personified death in all its forms, and it's accompanied by Hades. 
Now, we've looked at this word before back in chapter 1, verse 18. Hades is used in two different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's used of the place of conscious punishment where the wicked go after death or hell. Other times, as here, it's used of the state of death that both believers and unbelievers enter when life is over. In other words, the grave would be another way to say it. And that's the idea here. You have death accompanied by the grave. Verse 8 says, authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. That is unbelievable. God will give this horse and its rider authority to kill one-fourth of the earth's population. Now think about that with me for a moment. Today in our world, the population of this planet is eight billion. If one-fourth of our current population died, it means two billion people would perish in what's a very short period of time. Just to give you an idea of how many people that is, it would be as if suddenly every single person in India and every single person in China died and just went away. With this fourth seal, a fourth of those who have survived the carnage of war, who've survived the decimation of the famine, will die. Many have already died, but a fourth more will die in this seal. Nothing like this has ever happened in history. Death and Hades will be given authority. Notice verse 8 to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Death comes in four ways in this seal. The sword, of course, the word used here is the great two-edged sword that pictures death by violence in war. Famine, the famine that began in the third seal will only grow worse and more will die. Pestilence, Diseases will be rampant and fatal. Think about it. If in today's world, two billion people suddenly died, there would be no way to process those deaths. Think about what we've encountered just with the few deaths that have come with our last couple of years. Freezer trucks parked outside of cities. Can you imagine if two billion people or more at that time were to die? So many die that burial doesn't take place immediately, and from those rotting corpses, additional diseases create new sources of death. And then he adds, beasts of the earth. Hunger is the one drive that expels the fear of man from wild animals. And man won't be the only one affected by the famine. So will the beasts of the earth. So out from the forest and swamps, they will emerge in search of food, including unwary people. This fourth seal, think about it. We've already had war, worldwide war. We've already had famine that has caused people to work solely to provide food for their families and nothing else. Some have undoubtedly died through that. And now, on top of that, a fourth of those who've survived will die. Amazingly, think about this. This fourth seal brings us only near the end 
of the first half of the tribulation. There are two more seals, three more seals, and there are the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. None of that has come yet. This is, this is unbelievable. Folks, this is real. This is what God has told us through our Lord Jesus Christ will happen in the future. There is a real seven-year period coming when these things will transpire. So what are the lessons for us? Let me give you three of them briefly from these first four seals, three lessons. Number one, you will personally have to face the Lamb, heaven's Lord. Don't think about the person sitting next to you. Don't think about this theoretically. Think about this personally. You will have to face the Lamb, heaven's Lord. And you have to face him one of two ways. Revelation's clear. You will either fall before the Lamb in worship because of his redemption, or you will flee from the Lamb in terror because of his wrath. Those are the only two options. Let's look at these texts together. First of all, if you have believed in him, then you will face the Lamb, but you will face him in worship because he has redeemed you. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the book, when the Lamb took the book out of the right hand of the Father, the four living creatures and the 24 elders representing us, the church, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And together the saints sing this new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how you will face the Lamb. Yes, on your face, but on your face in incredible gratitude and worship and adoration for the one who has redeemed you, who set his love on you, and who, with whom you will be forever. Amen. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. This is specifically of the, the, those who are martyred during the tribulation. But notice how the saints are described, and, and we're the same. Verse 14, my Lord, you know, he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. This is what is true of all saints here. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, notice verse 16, they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your future. This is what it will be like when you face the Lamb. On the other hand, if you have not believed in Christ, if you continue to rebel against His goodness and grace and His offer of salvation against His law, then you will flee from the Lamb in terror because of his wrath. Look at chapter 6. I read it a moment ago, but look at it again. Chapter 6, verse 15. When the sixth seal happens, all the people on this planet, from every socioeconomic background, from every level, 
They will hide themselves and they will say, fall on us to the mountains and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. You know, Jesus Christ, the one you meet in the gospels is a person of great love and great mercy and great grace. And that is freely offered to you, friend. If you don't know him, he says, come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest. You'll find forgiveness. I will forgive your sins and make you right with God. I'll give you eternal life. And he, he accomplished that by the sacrifice of himself. That's what he offers you. But make no mistake, that is not how you will meet Jesus Christ if you leave this life without believing in him. He will not present himself to you like the person you read on the pages of the New Testament. He will present himself to you like the person we just read about in Revelation. You will face the wrath of the Lamb. So face him you will. You can either fall before him in worship because you've accepted his gracious offer of salvation and redemption, you've received him as Lord, or you will run from him in terror because of his just anger against your rebellion. A second lesson is God is patient and delays his wrath, but he's also just, and his wrath is coming. It's interesting, two verses in the New Testament that, that bring this home to me in a special way. One of them is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. It's coming. It's coming. It's like a little cloud on the horizon. Right now, everybody can live their lives and ignore it, but it's coming. And you know what these things are in this passage? Things that most human beings on this planet discount as completely unimportant. Things like sexual innuendo in your speech, things like lust, things like sexual sins. That's the context of that statement. Of course, those aren't the only reasons that the wrath of God is coming. Those aren't the only sins that invite God's wrath. All sin does, but that's the context. Let no one deceive you. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Colossians chapter 3 verse 6, it is because of these things, again, a context similar, human sin, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. It's coming. It's coming. Thirdly, and I love this, Christian, you don't need to fear because Jesus our Lord has promised to rescue us from the wrath to come. I love these verses. I, I love them so much that I sort of wrapped them into one of the songs we wrote to remind us that he saves us from the wrath to come. This is what he says in Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. Rescued. We're not going to experience it. We're not going to face it. No wrath for us because he absorbed the wrath of God in our place on the cross. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, We wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. It's coming. It'll happen just like we saw it unfold tonight 
in the first four seals. But for us, Christian, there is no wrath because Jesus drained the cup that you deserved of the wrath of God at the cross. And therefore, for us, meeting Christ is, as we sang earlier, it's being home. To be home with the Lord, that is much better. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his series, The First Six Seals, The Tribulation Begins. Tom will have part three for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music